Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Fury's Finest. If you're new here, thank you for showing up and listening. We hope you subscribe to the show and listen to future episodes. If you're a seasoned Fury's Finest listener, we think you're in for a treat today. Today's episode is the first in a new series called The Interview Series. On The Interview Series, we interview content creators and inspirations within the Marvel Crisis Protocol community. Today's guest is none other than Sarastro of Sarastro's Painting. Mark was so sincere, honest, and generous with his time to come talk with me about painting Marvel Crisis Protocol, among many other wonderful things. We cannot thank him enough, not only for being part of our show but kickstarting this new series if you guys enjoy this new series let us know and some of the best ways you can support this new series is by sharing it share it with other people in your community that you think will gain value out of this or even people that might not necessarily be into mcp but show them episodes like this so maybe they can join our wonderful community the whole point of this series is to inspire not only us as content creators, but the community as a whole, and to just bring everyone closer together during these trying times. It's really difficult for us as board gamers and miniatures gamers to not be able to get together to play, and we hope content like this will keep you inspired, keep you plugged in, and most importantly, lift your spirits. A couple other things. I launched a new podcast called Project Starhawk, which is a podcast about the upcoming video game Star Wars Squadrons. If you're remotely interested in Star Wars Squadrons or you have a passing interest in potentially learning more about the game, subscribe to our show and give it a listen. We are going to be leading up to the game's launch in the coming weeks. And after the game's launch, we will cover it weekly to great extent, keeping the hype alive. Other than that, guys, we know there's been a lot of news lately, and we're going to cover that on our next episode about Peter Quill himself, Star-Lord. We hope you guys enjoy today's content. Thanks for listening. Excelsior. As of right now, we are at war. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast and resource devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I have a very special episode for you today. Today, we'll be diving into the first installment of our interview series, episodes where we interview content creators and inspirations within the Marvel Crisis Protocol community. Today, my guest is none other than Sarastro of Sarastro's Painting. 
Sarastro, thanks for being here. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, thanks for coming on and kickstarting this series with us. If anyone's a listener of our show, they know that our episodes mainly focus on characters, tactics, and lore in this game. And it's really exciting to try something new where we actually just interview people that do content as well in the community and take a different route, which I'm very excited about. So today on Fury's Finest, we'll be discussing Sarastro's process for making painting tutorials for Marvel Crest Protocol and learning how to better paint our miniatures. <laughs> Fury's Finest is supported by Discount Games, Inc. Go to DiscountGamesInc.com for all of your Marvel Christ Protocol and miniature gaming needs. Fury's Finest is also supported by our patrons on Patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy the show, consider supporting it with a monthly contribution. We'd like to thank all of our patrons for the support. And a huge thank you this week to Daniel E. Thank you for signing up, Daniel. We really appreciate it. And lastly, thank you to our episode producer, Martin C. So now that we got all that out of the way, we can actually get into the fun of this episode, Sarastro. The first question here, and it's a pretty simple one, is who is Sarastro and what do you do? Well, my name is Mark, or Sarastro, of Sarastro's Painting, and I produce miniature painting tutorials in the form of videos on my YouTube channel, but I also cover quite a few miniatures as PDF guides, because it just allows me to get through more miniatures quickly, because they're a lot quicker to produce. And I discovered you when I was learning to paint Zombicide and Imperial Salt, which was a very exciting time for me. Oh, yeah. My first foray into really painting for real and actually breaking just the regular board game world into the miniatures world. Those were great transition games for me for that personally. And your videos were very helpful with that. So I'm very excited to see your channel continue to create this content. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, because my very first video was for Zombicide, actually. That's right. The one set in the modern day it was very much designed to make the hobby accessible to viewers who maybe have never painted before. So I'm really happy to hear that um, I helped you get into that side of things. Absolutely. And like, this is what I love about the gaming community and creating content. And all this stuff is like, that got me more into it. And then I got other individuals in the zombie side who maybe had never played a miniature game in their life, but the closest they got into was D&D and things like that. Mm. You know, and now I have friends, they have full-fledged, you know, eBay stores where they do Zombicide commissions and stuff. And um, I know you helped pave the way for that. So I really appreciate that for them. Oh, great. You know, there's, of course, second edition of Zombicide, the modern edition coming out not too long. Yeah. So. so before we get to the channel, where did your actual tabletop story begin? Oof. Well, I mean, apart from the kind of the standard traditional board games that you have floating around your house as a kid. Of course. You know, like chess drafts even monopoly which i always hated but for me i <laughs> guess it would be the warhammer fantasy battle which i probably started playing around aged nine or ten then not long after that was warhammer 40k which i remember quite vividly it coming out i think i was about 12 at the time because it was such a revolutionary idea it was warhammer but set in the future it's like, it blew our minds. So we, we, we were heavily into 40K. My brother and I and a couple of friends. I remember I had Space Orc faction. My brother was into Space Marines. And we would build terrain in the lounge using, I don't know if you remember the old VHS video cassettes. Of course, yeah. Of course. So we'd have loads of them and just pull them all off the shelves and build these huge sort of 
cityscapes all over the lounge. They didn't look, fidelity wasn't quite there, but you, you know, got the idea across that you're playing across this awesome city and it was really good fun. So yeah, so those are the games that kind of really got me into miniature wargaming as a kid. That's really wonderful. And I really like that VHS detail because you just described even a more recent game, my core set experience with Star Wars Legion. I mean, you crack ah. the game, you glue it together and you realize... You don't really have any thematic terrain quite yet, but you still want to get to the table. So yeah. you're st- stacking books and oh, yeah. various cans and things to you know create line of sight blocking. Yeah, definitely. You do what you got to do. That's great. So 40K was kind of your moment getting into, I guess, greater tabletop gaming, but also miniatures gaming as well? Both Warhammer Fantasy Battle and the 40K, because I had a sort of an undead army for Warhammer Fantasy Battle. So yeah, those, those are definitely the pretty much the only games miniature themed games that i played as a kid but of course these days there's such a, a much wider range of miniature based games growing up as a kid all, all you really know is games workshop in, here in the uk anyway but now of course you've got huge companies like you know ffg and Simon doing a whole range of, of thematic miniature based games so it's, it's a very different time to be a gamer and a painter right i mean even the duration of time where it was just purely D and rpg based miniatures to Warhammer and stuff. I mean, I mean, there was there was definitely periods of time with all these types of things. But you're absolutely right; it's more in the forefront now than ever, and that's what's so wonderful to cover content like this game. When did you actually start painting your own miniatures? And I'm sure you, that was probably earlier on. But then also, when did you start painting? Maybe at a higher level, was it immediately a passion? Well, I suppose as very young children, we had a, a very sort of creative environment at home. We were always encouraged to engage with and enjoy the arts. So we were all taught to play musical instruments. I've got three siblings, by the way. And we were always painting, even from the age of sort of maybe five or six, I'd be painting airfix dinosaurs and historical aeroplanes and stuff. So from that, Warhammer came along. So age nine or 10, it was all Warhammer. I didn't then paint miniatures for quite a number of years from my sort of mid-teens up until around 10 years or so ago. I did continue painting. I studied art at sort of college level, but obviously it wasn't miniatures. But then around 10, 12 years ago, I happened to walk past a local games workshop store, looked in the window at the cabinet of painted miniatures, and immediately just felt that childlike glee again, as soon as I saw the painted stuff. Walked in, came out 20 minutes later, £100 poorer, with (laughs) a big box set. I think it was the, the Battle for Skull Pass starter set at the time. It was Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Mm. loads of orcs and i know it's goblins and dwarves and i got primers paints brushes that was the point that i returned to the hobby as an adult and i just loved it i think i even loved it more than i did as a kid and i don't know if that's just because as an adult one has a bit more patience perhaps you also maybe don't need to save up your pocket money for weeks and weeks in order to go out and buy the next box of orcs or whatever you know you have a little little expendable income so you can just buy what you want and, and get on with it that's what sort of pulled me back in as an adult. And then from there, then discovered Zombicide, Simon Zombicide. Mm-hmm. And it was at a time when I was getting a little disenfranchised with the Games Workshop product line. So that then pulled me into some of the big shiny sort of US produced miniature games from Simon and FFG. And of course, when Imperial Assault came along, well, it's just, I was just <laughs> all over that. Yeah. I was too. I had a podcast called Vader's Finest, and we were so passionate about that game. And Mm. what a wonderful time to be part of the community. I think you touched on some things here too. I mean, obviously, Games Workshop got you back in, but it is notable, at least in my mind, for me, maybe it was for you or not, I'm not sure, but you mentioned Zombicide and and Imperial Assault, so namely 
CMON and FFG, but these games already had pre-assembled miniatures. Mm, yeah. Did that speed along your painting process at all, or is that just a byproduct of moments? But I know that was some of some individuals' disenfranchised feelings with GW, because I think sometimes putting things together took so long that I think it kind of delayed the painting process for some people. Did you have any of that experience? I mean, it's, it's true that obviously a pre-assembled model is quicker to to get ready for painting. But coming from a Warhammer background, it never really bothered me. You just, you're just used to it. You know you're going to have to clip stuff off sprues. You're going to have to mm-hmm. glue it together. And you just come to accept that as part of the process. I can also understand if someone entered the hobby with pre-assembled miniatures, I could see how then being faced with a sprue could feel like a bit of a drag. Yes. But I think at the same time, I think it's important for people to understand that when you're working with hard plastics and highly detailed miniatures, that's the way it's going to be. That's, that's, that's the trade-off. It's so worth it. I mean, when you look at the quality of the stuff that, well, I mean, the, the more recent Star Wars Legion stuff, for example, oh, or yes. the, Mar- the Marvel stuff. I mean, just the other week, I painted the Tainted Grail miniatures. I, it reminded me how good the quality of the other games I've been painting is. Because it's a fairly sort of soft plastic, the detail wasn't great. Right. I mean, it was fine. I mean, it still benefited from being painted, and it looks a lot better than it did. But the, the quality of what we're getting now from you know Atomic Mass Games and FFG is, is fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's unparalleled. And I think just for me personally, being such a big board gamer and transitioning into miniatures, games like Zombicide really did help learning how to paint for me personally, that just element of the pre-assembled and... Oh, yeah. And zombies as well. I mean, what a yes. great way to get into the hobby because mm-hmm. you can throw shade at them. I mean, these days you've got the contrast colors as well, of course. Great way to just try stuff out and oh yeah, things don't have to be especially neat. They can be dirty looking. You can Slip throw, and make a mistake and chuck some blood, blood on blood. there. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. a nice, it's, it's a good fearless sort of way to get into things. And then, of course, you might move on to single hero miniatures and approach things with a bit more care and so on absolutely zombies no better way to get into the hobby i don't think i know we kind of touched on some of it sarastro but the Mm. very tail end of of this part of your story how did your content creation journey begin so we mentioned zombicide but how did really the physicality of sitting down and making these videos creating your own music editing all these processes that content creators do what got you to that point and basically posting your first video i suppose i created my first couple of videos purely to satisfy a creative need. I'm just extremely creative. I, ever since I was a kid, I've just always felt the need to make stuff. I guess I happen to be at an age where over the years I had sort of developed a slightly weird skill set in that I had studied music and taught music actually for many years. I have always enjoyed working with technology and photography and sort of amateur videography, you know, just home movie type stuff. So I've always enjoyed all of those things. You add that to my love of the hobby, the miniature painting hobby, and you have a a product, the video, which allows me to utilize all of those skills and interests in a single endeavor. So I get to paint, I get to hopefully instruct, which provides something that's helpful to other people, which is always nice. I get to compose music. I mean, I love photographing the miniatures, you know, getting them out on some scenic terrain and creating those cinematic shots, I get a real buzz out of that. All of those different threads that go into making a video, I find very rewarding. So making those early videos was just a fun exercise for me. That's all there was to it. I I never had any sort of uh, ambitions to be a well-known YouTuber or or certainly not to sort of monetize it in any meaningful way. It was just really was just 
making something I felt passionate about and I enjoyed the process of doing it. So that's, that's how it started. And that's still very much true to this day. I mean, apart from the fact I've been fortunate enough to be able to turn it into a vocation, I still create the videos for the same core reasons. I'm just, I'm passionate about the games that I'm painting and I still enjoy the process of making the videos. And I still enjoy the thought that I'm helping other people enjoy and access the hobby. So not much has really changed apart from the fact that, like I said, I'm now able to actually fund what I do. Well, that's absolutely wonderful. And what a better way to really pour love into something you love, because I think it shows through in your works, Rastro, your love of this and then want to create with no sort of, you know, monetization in game goals in mind. And I think that's shines through in your content. That's one of my favorite things about doing podcasts and these type of things is if we can enhance any other player's game at all, I think it's absolutely worth the time and effort. And, you know, this ping pongs too, you know, we have mm. painting videos, we have battle reports, we have podcasts, we have people like the guys at Team Covenant doing, you know, more wider scale on the news and things. Yeah. And I think we kind of are all tossing the ball back and forth. And I think that's really valid. And I'm saying even like the smallest of channels, because that brings something to somebody. Also, we're keeping hopefully some excitement and vigor in the community. And that's always been my goal. Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And not only that, but you you genuinely feel that you're part of a wider community. Oh man, yes. In these very odd days of sort of being locked down and and socially isolated, it's so valuable, you know. I mean, even even if it's just a brief like or Twitter exchange with, say, Zach from Team Covenant or right or whatever, it just helps you feel connected that you're you're part of this this community that's all sharing this passion. Absolutely, we're getting to hopefully do more of this series on this podcast because we just want to tie everyone closer together, and it's a very like you said difficult time, and hopefully. This helps people get some more enjoyment and feel less uneasy as well. So yeah. Thank you once again for coming on. You did Zombicide early on and Imperial Assault and obviously many other games. What got you to MCP? What brought you into wanting to do content for this game <laughs> to now? For quite a while, I've, I've always wanted to tackle the superhero genre at some point. The, the bright colors, the, the varied textures and so on. There's just something about the genre that I think is very rewarding for a painter. Having said that, I'm going back to now to last summer when the game was announced at Gen Con. That's right. The last thing I needed at the time was <laughs> another game to paint. Because <laughs> right. I was already really busy with Legion. I was working quite hard on the Lord of the Rings journey to Middle Earth. I've never actually been to Gen Con, but I'd like to. But I always tune in to watch the, well, the coverage and especially the in-flight report from FFG. Of course. At the end of the report, Will gets up and presents... Marvel Crisis Protocol. It's quite a lengthy presentation as well. But I was blown away. I was really blown away. You could tell just from that presentation and then some of the subsequent coverage of the gameplay, people playing the games at the stands and so on, that you had a team there who passionate about the franchise that have a passion for the hobby aspect as well. You could see that in, in the way they presented all the painted miniatures and the hobby side of things. But also that they had a game that was very, very well thought out thematic but extremely well thought out. And I think they've struck a really nice balance with the gameplay in terms of keeping things thematic and giving you tons of options each turn in terms of, do I activate this character first? Do I pick this skill? Do I do this? Do that? You always feel like you've got a meaningful decision 
to make at, at every turn in the game. Absolutely. Yeah, it flows. I mean, it's quite a lot to take in when you first play it, but once you know what you're doing, it really flows. And it's actually very succinct. It's a very succinct system. They don't use true line of sight, right? which works fine for some games. But I think when you're dealing with a range of heights like you do, especially when you're using quite crazy terrain like I do, <laughs> having those quite simple rules in terms of how you target opponents and so on, it's just, it just works. It really does work. So anyway, so yeah, I was blown away by the, by the presentation at Gen Con and I kind of knew I was probably going to have to cover this game. But luckily there was quite a few months between the announcement and the actual release. So I was able to sort of tie up a few things. I got the core box of Journeys in Middle Earth finished, for example. Right. And the other main thing I wanted to do running up to the release was get some terrain built. Again, just looking at the Gen Con coverage, the minute I saw those boards, oh my goodness. Goodness, yes. I mean, you remember they had some fantastic boards. I mean, just oh, yeah. incredible. The underground tube station, the rooftops. Mm. It just it captures my imagination. When that happens, that, right. that's what pulls me in. I'm all about the theme. And if the theme captures my imagination, that's it. So I saw those boards and I thought, right, I want something like that. So that's what led me then to take on that terrain making project. Right. And I wasn't actually originally going to make a video for it because I just thought, I, I don't really know what I'm doing for starters. So I, I can't really in make a guide <laughs> for building terrain when I myself don't really know what I'm doing. I'm sort of busking it and I'm, I'm sort of drawing on the teachings of other people like Mel the Terrain Tutor and so on. Having made three of my four tiles, I don't know if you remember. Yes. For the benefit of viewers who may not have seen it, I've made four tiles of scenery. Each one measures a foot and a half square. So you put them all together and you've got your three by three gaming area. And the idea is that they're modular, so they can be arranged and placed in a, in a number of different ways to create variety each time you play. So by the time I'd made three of the four tiles, I kind of knew what I was doing. So I thought, okay, it'd be a shame not to document what I'm doing and <laughs> share it with my viewers. So that's what led to my finally making that video which showed my process for building the terrain so i guess while we're in terrain if you just can talk briefly like what's your process mm. for making terrain then you said you were kind of stumbling through it for mcp but do you have a more refined way for create mcp terrain now or i know people can watch that video of course yeah so well i'll, I'll go back to the actual process of when i started making it so the first thing i right. do is i go to the google street view and I spent quite a long time just wandering around New York City, grabbing screenshots as I go. So I'm looking at details like what kind of window frames, doors do they have? What is the spacing like between windows? What's the spacing like between different floors of a building? What do the road markings look like? And you can actually find some surprisingly detailed um, <laughs> information on what the precise measurements of, of road markings should be and how they're laid out and stuff like that. So for me, it was important to do some pretty thorough research to get an idea of what I'm looking to achieve with my own terrain. So my overarching goal with the terrain was that I wanted the terrain to have the same level of fidelity as the miniatures that I was going to paint to put on the terrain because I'm going to spend several hours painting a miniature to my best standard and photograph it and when I do so I want the terrain to match the miniature so that was my goal the other goal of course was to make sure the terrain is practical from a gameplay standpoint okay. so if I've got an alleyway can the Hulk fit in that alleyway and it wasn't helpful 
for me not having the miniatures at the time I made the terrain. But fortunately, the dimensions for the bases had at least been released. In fact, I think it was Zach who may have shared them on Team Covenant. Right. So I had enough information to go on to make sure that it was going to be playable. So plenty of flat areas, plenty of throwable things, because we knew early on that there was going to be mechanics for throwing stuff around. So I knew I had to plan for magnetized elements of scenery that could be chucked around. Um, then there's the question of scale. And again, I just had to go off the information that had been released by Atomic Mass Games, that it was going to be sort of 40 mil scale or O scale in sort of train parlance. So with all that in mind, I then set about designing the layout for the tiles. And you'll see in the video that I actually made four very small squares out of foam board, which allowed me to just sketch out what the layouts might be for each one. So I could then try positioning the tiles in different combinations to make sure that once I've built the terrain, they can be put together in a range of ways that actually makes sense. So if on one tile I have an alleyway along one side, for example, mm -hmm. I want to make sure that the adjacent tile has a wall that will then sit against that alleyway tile forming the actual alleyway, if you know what I mean. Yes. I got the, those logistics all worked out nice and early. Then it was a question of deciding well, what materials and techniques am I going to use. Now, I have worked with foam board before a long time ago, making some ruined scenery. And this is where Mel, the terrain tutor, came in handy. He's a wonderful tutorial maker, British tutorial maker. So I mined some of his sort of back catalogue of videos showing how to work with foam board and I threw him £10 as a tip to say thank you because it was, it was so helpful to me. That then gave me the techniques and tools I needed to create the basic construction of the buildings. Okay. Then it was a question of the detailing and rendering of the building. So the knock textured brick sheets are amazing. Amazing, yeah. So amazing. They do a range of slightly different scales. All I did was went to a train store and just bought a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> probably only used maybe a quarter of it in the end because I just wanted to try a whole range of stuff to see what works because they're all slightly different scales. Some work better than others. So what, what you see in the final video is just those bits that I thought, yes, this is, this is amazing. And the same thing with the doors and windows as well. I tried a range of products. Some of them are quite expensive as well and yes. some are quite, quite tricky to fit. But the ones I ended up liking the most, which you'll see in the video, are those by a train store from the US, Chichi Train Group, I think they're called. Just lovely. The scale is perfect. They can slot in easily from the front and they've got kind of a frame which protrudes slightly so it covers up any rough edges. And the same with the doors as well. So, Do they consider that O scale for this company? Uh, yes, that's right. It's interesting to me that the scale they made at Marvel where it's kind of like all of the heroes are slightly larger than some of the terrain. And just in the way of traditional miniatures gaming at least in my experience like the cars and and some yeah. of the o-scale elements are slightly smaller than these heroes and I th they said it was yeah. kind of a design choice to make the heroes bigger than life sort of thing right i'm glad you touched on that because that, that is something that's kind of maybe difficult for a new player or they're trying to wrap their head around maybe someone who's a more traditional war gamer they're building exact scale mm. yeah the o-scale seems a little more forgiving but it also seems, for me, at least at first, it seemed a bit, maybe not off, just not exact. And then I realized mm. it was a design choice because, you know, this is a stylized game and that's what makes it so great. Yeah. It's helpful to know that people are looking those up. Those are the O scale. So thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. So then it was important that I create visual interest in the terrain at every level. So from the macro level, you step back and you look at the board. I want it to look sort of natural, balanced, 
varied. So there's different heights of building. Right. The texture on one building is, is different from the one next to it. So there's visual interest from a distance. Then you get a little closer and you go, oh, oh I like that little rubbish bin there. Or the, oh, the signpost looks pretty cool. Then you go closer still to the micro level and you're looking at the texture of the brickwork, a little tuft of grass coming from a crack in the wall, some newspapers, the graffiti. So at every level, there's something interesting to draw the eye. That was my goal with the scenery. And it was massive. It was so much fun. It was really fun to do. It, was, it took ages. It was, it was a big effort. It's the gift that keeps on giving, though. Because when, when we play now, it's an event. It's a special event. Yes. You know, we bring the scenery down from the loft bedroom down to the kitchen. And it just looks so good. It looks so, I mean, you, you stand there and you look down at it. And with, especially when you've got the painted miniatures on there. Right. It's easy to forget you're actually playing a game. It just looks like <laughs> a, a little slice of the city. And it's, oh, man. it's just so thematic. It's so much fun. And I think with you talking about that, you're kind of capturing some of my just profound love for this game where, as you said earlier, it does have some rather simple baseline rules if you were to explain mm. them to a regular war gamer but then you get to the more you know micro level of some of the individual characters very dynamic with all these different superpowers and as you said earlier who do you decide to go with at what given times and and you know on top of that the theme is so rich with the miniatures and especially if you have a table that matches that it's this strange game where you get as much out of it as you put in but also mm. i think that that means the ceiling for the competitive level or just even, you know, trying to maybe not be super competitive, but just maximize your gameplay using characters at the right times. Like you mentioned earlier, the mm. floor is low. It's really simple to learn, yeah. but the ceiling and some of the combinations of characters interacting, things like that is incredibly high and baffling still to me in this day. You could even oh, continue yeah. to play the same terrain over and over again and switch one or two characters and the game yeah. has changed dramatically. And so yeah. if you change terrain on top of that, <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's crazy. I love how, touching on what you just said, that you can approach it very much in a sort of light way if you want. Right. You throw them down, you go, oh, I'm going to activate him, I'm going to throw this, I'm going to do that. When you first play it, if if you don't appreciate the fact you're actually fighting for victory points, it can feel a bit like I'm just hitting you, you're hitting me, I'm hitting you, you're hitting me. Right. But once you get past that and appreciate the fact it's all about the victory conditions here, it becomes a lot more interesting. Absolutely. I do like the fact it can be played in a very light sort of way if you wish, but you can min-max to your heart's content if you're if you're of that mindset. You know, if you want to play competitively, there's so much to get into there. I mean, the range of characters and the different ways you can combine them, the ever-growing deck of tactics cards, team tactics cards, oh, is that goodness. what they're called? Yes. I mean, my goodness, you know, and then the process whereby you determine what the crises are going to be and then... Pick your squad to better right. improve your chances for the specific crises you're dealing with. It's wonderful. It's something for everyone, I think, depending on you know whether you are want to play casually or you want to really sort of math things out and min-max stuff. Fantastic. Yeah, you're right. And you just touched on a big part of the game too, which is so crazy to think about still. is just that pre-game. That pre-game is unbelievable. Chris and I had the wonderful privilege of going on the Third Floor Wars podcast, and they mainly do Malifaux stuff and things like that. But they had a mm. segment where they wanted to talk about MCP and maybe even sell it to their listeners and, and explain the pre-game and how unbelievably simple but also complex it is and like you said selecting those crisis cards choosing your threat you know choosing your deployment all this stuff is a very different experience than others miniatures games yeah it blows me away every time yeah i don't always do it i mean if i just want a sort of fairly quick right. casual game we'll just say absolutely okay we'll pick these two crises um team limit 17 points 
let's go, you know, pick your team, off we go. It's nice that it's quite a, a tactical option right. to have there, a, sub- a substantial sort of bit of the game, if you will, but you can take it or leave it depending on how casually and quick you want to make things. And I'm glad you mentioned that too. I don't even think this is something I've talked about on my show yet. What you just said, maybe sometimes when you're trying a new character or teaching a new player, of course, we skip that pregame element entirely. We just say we have 15 threat because we're playing these two crises and we chose, you know, the threat off of the one, say on the left. Really, today's focus is learning Rocket and Groot because they're brand new characters, right? And you don't want to necessarily get too heady with that pregame of the 10 models and the tournament setting and all that. And I think that's great, too. I think this game is perfectly viable, if not as good in that format. And it's just testament, like you said, to the team and, and Will and everyone that just made this great game. So we covered terrain with you, Sarastra, but of course, the most important thing, we got to cover your process for painting an MCP miniature. Conception all the way to maybe not even a video, but just completed model. What's your process for that? So if we're just talking about the actual painting part rather than producing the video, right? it would begin with doing a bit of research, collecting images from the movies and comics so that I get a good idea of all the ways that the character may have been represented in the different mediums because the costumes vary quite a bit don't they and sometimes characters reappear with modified costumes or the costumes change from one movie to the other and i like that because i love star wars but star wars is very it's much more set in stone i mean everyone knows what darth vader is supposed to look like right or people might think they have a clear idea of what general veers armor is the color of but it can change quite a lot from scene to scene because of all the color grading and so on but in in marvel there's a lot more freedom i feel and i feel a lot braver in terms when i want to vary things or add something i don't feel that i'm going to upset fans particularly <laughs> the way that i might do you know i mean when i paint the clones for example from the, the right star wars legion it's a great example yeah <laughs> somewhere yeah someone in the comments is like oh you've you've painted this is phase one clones and you've painted them with phase two markings colored markings or whatever right, right. you know someone has to sort of say something whereas with marvel it feels a bit more a bit more loose so you know if i want if i want to give dr octopus a bright pink magenta like mm-hmm. nuclear glow thing then that's great i'll just do it anyway so i do the research just to open up possibilities and also the most of the color schemes are amazing anyway so i don't mm-hmm. particularly feel the need to change anything but it might be that of the range of ways in which say captain marvel has been presented there might be a particular image that i really love like a particular shade of blue for example like in the movies right and i go ah i really love that that's the blue i'm gonna try and recreate in my painting or if i'm looking at thor for example he's got these quite iconic the sort of scale plating on his legs and sometimes his arms as well and although it's not sculpted on the miniature i just thought oh that'd be a lovely touch to put on his legs just to break up the sort of flat fabric of the you know the, the leather of the boots and the tunic kind of thing so I'm doing the research to get ideas, not necessarily to turn myself into a slave to one particular, you know, scheme. Right. So that's the research part. I'll then spend a fair bit of time trying out different colors and techniques in order to achieve the look that I want to achieve based on the research that I've done. Now, for some games, I actually end up with two copies of a miniature, or I might buy a game twice just so I can do a practice on one miniature before I do the actual filming. That's not the case with Marvel, partly because they're just quite pricey, (laughs) as they should be, because they're lovely miniatures. But I do have a big box of spare miniatures from other games that I just use precisely for that purpose, just for testing out color schemes on. So that'll be where I'll look for the best paints and the best techniques to use to achieve the look I'm after. 
once I'm happy with that, then the painting begins. And for that, you, you can see what I do in the videos because that, that's right. it from, from start to finish. I mean, it's quite heavily edited, of course, because I do spend more time than you actually see on film, keep the video concise. But that's pretty much it. Unless you had something specific about the painting process you weren't sure about that comes across in the video. Is there that? anything different necessarily just for you? Even your videos aside, just with this medium, obviously you said the bright colors, we got these dynamic pop elements and things like that. Mm. Are there any just different techniques or just maybe you do more highlighting or there's different things you do for this game in particular that maybe you might not do for Star Wars Legion or something? And just colors aside, just maybe just more techniques. Well, I guess like I've sort of hinted at, I feel I'm able to be a little bolder perhaps with them. Like I said, partly because they have been represented in many different ways anyway. Or maybe it's just the nature of them being superheroes that when I'm painting one, I feel I could be heroic. I could, <laughs> I could <laughs> use this, co- this color here or push this a little bit further if I wanted, or I- I'm going to put some lightning on this hammer now. And actually the lightning, I-, I originally hadn't planned to do that. I just sort of, I'd blocked in the shading on the hammer on Thor's hammer. And I think I noticed a little, I don't know if it was a bit of mold line or something. So I scraped it and ended up with a little white line where the primo showed through. And I thought, oh, that looks pretty good. So then I- at which point, well, let's try some lightning. So that that was one of those moments where I, hmm. whilst filming, I just sort of went out on the limb and tried something. And it, I liked it in the end. I guess something we haven't touched on yet, maybe say you were new to this game or you're about to start hobbying. I feel so free doing this game because of the line of sight rules. Does that make sense? So like my, yeah. my Thor, I did a wire off of his hammer into the ground and then above and then did oh, great. green stuff lightning and, you know, painted the lightning. And he, from any distance... He's a visual piece on the board, and that's fine. It doesn't affect gameplay at yeah. all. I mean, it might be a little more fiddly to uh, travel with him in my foam or something. Sure. Does that inspire any of your decisions, too? I know do elements of basing and stuff, but, I mean, some games are so restrictive. And, you know, that's a wonderful thing that they actually did change with Legion recently with the silhouettes. You know, a little bit yeah. more freedom, you know. You're not as worried about that lightsaber sticking out or whatever. For this game, I mean, are there any other elements maybe as well with the basing or just, you know, any other choices? They, they come with amazing bases, which, is, which is great. I think if, if anyone hasn't painted any other games, they might not fully appreciate that. But most games come with just a flat base. Mm-hmm. The fact that these come really beautifully sculpted is, is fantastic. I guess there were things like I may have thought twice about putting Spidey's web on. Yeah. If that meant he's more likely to get targeted, <laughs> you know. Or not be tournament legal or something, you know, some games. Well, maybe. Right? right, some games, yeah. Yeah, totally. I think that freedom is very exciting. But with this game, we talked about you're choosing your colors, your inspiration. And I think the word that sticks out to me with that section is just there's a freedom in this game. It's so interesting yeah. to have these palettes with these characters. But at the same time, you can do that one issue suit of a particular character right you can do symbiote suit spider-man if you really wanted to for your corset spider-man and i think that's what's so wonderful is i think initially when you think about painting something like this you do think more restrictive oh these colors for iron man but then if you really sit and think and you see other people's creation in the community which i think just feeds on top of itself in some ways i feel more way more free i did captain marvel in her kree suit just to break up red and blue and all that in the game and obviously her original suit is just absolutely stellar but thematically there's been several suits yeah why not i guess with you sarastro like we talked about your process for making videos so not to delve into that too much but is there anything different for the mcp videos since we already talked about terrain no the, the video making sort of cycle is is pretty much the same regardless of what i'm working on except perhaps i might spend longer at the practicing stage if i'm pushing myself to try 
new techniques or colors because I have been using the scale color range of paints okay. a lot more for this particular series because the colors are just so kind of pure and vibrant mm. and the very matte finish is quite interesting to work with as well. It, it opens up possibilities for creating a greater range of finishes on the miniature. There's a couple of reasons why I might spend a little longer in the sort of research and practice stage when I'm trying new stuff. And I am. I mean, with each of these Crisis Protocol miniatures, I'm pushing myself, trying new things. The Captain America's shield, for example. I've never really painted anything quite like that. I mean, Hulk as well. I spent quite a long time. I mean, the first thing I did when I sat down to work out my approach to Hulk, I just took down all my greens. And it's a lot of greens. (laughs) Where'd you start? Right. Not only picking colors, but deciding on your technique. Do I just start with a very dark base coat and highlight up? Or do I start with a mid-tone? then blocking some shadows. There's a never-ending sort of range of possibilities when it comes to painting. I mean, I never like to sound like I'm presenting the best way to paint anything, which I'm not at all. But it's important that I find, for me, the best way to paint that miniature at that time. That's what I'm presenting, basically. But even that's quite hard to get to because there's so many options. You know, I've got so many paints. There's so many different approaches one could take. Yeah, the preparation and practice stage might be a little longer when I am just trying to push myself that bit further iron man you know non-metallic metal red never really tried anything like that before but that's what it's all about isn't it that's how you yeah that's where the excitement comes from trying something new sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't doesn't matter just go for it so you've talked about trying some new things and and, you know new paints and even just maybe experiment more more with color but is, Mm. is there any other just basic tips when painting mcp miniatures that you might not just personally apply to other miniatures painting You mentioned vibrancy earlier, and I think that was a great tip. Well, yeah, and that all kind of ties into the the genre that you're working with and the look that you're aiming to achieve. Couldn't imagine using, say, the palette of colors I used on some of my Marvel miniatures when painting, say, something from Kingdom Death Monster, for example, because the setting is so much darker. (laughs) Yes. It's a completely different palette. It's like watching one film and watching a completely different type of film, if it's been color graded properly and if the directors put thought into the colors, they'll, they'll look completely different probably. And it's the same with, with the games. I mean, I'm just glanc- as I'm talking, I'm just glancing at my figure cabinet now. And on one side of this shelf here, I've got the Kingdom Death stuff, right? which is all kind of the somber greenish blue shadows fading into the sort of lanterns, the cold yellow light from the lanterns and so on. And then over on the left, the Marvel stuff just bursting with color. And each figure has its own sort of complete sort of color balance, color harmony. Yeah, I would certainly be tempted to push the vibrancy and the extremes with the comic, the the superhero genre stuff. Yeah. I think that really shows in your work, but also it's great advice because we were just talking earlier about making these set pieces and having things pop on the table. So that might just be worth it for that alone, you know, just Mm. obviously pull a new player from across the way, you know, they see the terrain, yeah. these vibrant painted characters. The next question we have here, Sarastro, I think is a great question. This was submitted by a patron. Experienced painters often get asked how to start as a beginner. That aside, how do painters that are well past the beginner stage or intermediate or higher, what steps do they take to put in the effort to go from a good painter to a great painter? I thought it was a fantastic question. I guess it's about trying new things, like we've mentioned. Right. And not being afraid. You've got to drop any fear you might have about trying something you've not done before, because that's how you move forward. So if you've always wanted to to attempt a bit of non-metallic metal, for example, but always been a bit afraid or told yourself, oh, I'll never be able to pull that off, silence that voice and just do it. 
right? See what happens. It might not turn out right first time, second time. That's fine. That's all just part of the learning learning curve, isn't it? Absolutely. So trying new things, not being afraid. If it helps, you may want to perhaps just hone in on one specific area you want to improve at a time. It could be something fairly simple like, I want to get a bit better at wet blending, for example, or I want to create a, a richer, more weathered looking leather, mm. for example, or I want to improve my object source lighting. So I'm going to deliberately pick a miniature that has some very obvious object source lighting in it. So set yourself a specific goal and go for it. I think it's also important to compare yourself to yourself rather than looking at professional painters online Great advice. and feeling bad about your own progress because there's always someone who's better and worse than yourself out there. So the only person to, to give you a true measure of, of how well you're doing is, is look at your own work. And when you're beginning, that means taking an unpainted miniature and comparing it to your first painted miniature, which however bad you might think it is, because it might look a bit sloppy or it doesn't look like a well-known painter's uh, rendering, it's still loads better than the unpainted <laughs> miniature. Just by putting some base colors on, it already looks so much more interesting. Absolutely. Having said that, absolutely, you can learn a lot by looking at professional painters. And we're really spoilt these days, especially with, with the internet. I mean, <laughs> we, I didn't have that as a kid. There's so many wonderful content creators out there. And most of it's free to watch. I mean, some of the top tier painters, it's, it's sort of, they have Patreon only content. So you have to be a Patreon supporter to see what they're doing. Even just on YouTube for free, there's tons of great content. Uh, but also look beyond just miniature painters. Go to an art gallery. Look at the painters of the past. They were masters of things like how to render fabrics and non-metallic metals. You know? Yes. Go and see some museum. Take your phone, grab a few pictures, or just look online or buy an art book. Also, look at the environment around you. Look at nature. I've always got my phone handy, ready to just take pictures of whatever's around me. If I'm painting, say, the Death Troopers from Star Wars Legion... Mm-hmm. I grabbed a few shots of some black cars just out and about, for example. Mm. Shiny, black. Have a look, analyze what you're seeing there. How strong are the reflections? Where are the reflections? Trees, weathered stone, graveyards, wonderful places to get loads of textural ideas. And try to see things the way they actually are rather than the way you think they should be. I grabbed some pictures of a gravestone just yesterday, in fact. And it's got these kind of some really vibrant oranges on it and greens some purples. It's, it's all over the place. If you ask someone, well, what colour is is, is a typical gravestone? You might say, well, it's grey. <laughs> well, there, there might be grey there, but there's so much more than that. Have a, have a look. And don't sort of wait for another painter to show you that, yes, you could put orange on a tree trunk or something. Right. Trust your own eyes. You've seen it there. You see it in nature. Get your paints out, match the colours and see what happens. I love that. Unrelated to painting and hobbying, we're going to shift gears here. What are your favorite characters and affiliations to put on the table currently in Marvel Christ Protocol? Ooh, so pre-lockdown, I mostly paid with the sort of good guys from the core box. Okay. Largely because those were the ones I happened to have painted first. During the lockdown, I've played a little with my daughter and I've also had a few games online on Tabletop Simulator with a good friend, Jordan. Hi, Jordan. <laughs> so... That's pretty cool because it lets you try out different affiliations, even if I've not painted them. Right. I enjoy playing as the Cabal with Modoc. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, that, that early brutal move of activating Red Skull, generating a bit of power, moving Modoc yes. forwards. Before Modoc's even activated, he's already presenting quite a hideous amount of threat. Great. Really good stuff. I think the affiliation I've enjoyed the most playing on TTS would be the Asgardians. Such a powerful, yes. well-balanced 
team. They've got movement. They've got range. Four alone is just is insane, you know. Yes. Medium movement, but with the charge, so you can move and then attack. He's got the range five hammer throw. He can chuck quite large people around. So he's, he can throw Modoc, for example. So he's a really good Modoc antidote. Hella is so cool, you know, the mechanic whereby she collects the souls and then as long as you have three souls... <laughs> There's no way you're going to put her down. She just keeps springing back up again. So great. And Loki just being really annoying, lurking around, providing that annoying sort of debuff where the opposing team has to spend a power just to use one of their, their superhero abilities. Yeah, and Valkyrie, nice hard hitter. There's not, not a weak link in the group. No. And you can't ignore Valkyrie or forget her. I think a lot of people maybe Ooh, no. initially were like, oh, she's a pretty good three threat character. In the right hands, she's one of the most deadly three threat characters in the game. Yeah. And again, she's got that charge, hasn't she? Yeah. So Asgardians lately, that's great. There's yeah. interesting faction because we just finished our Asgardian series and we talked about basically how they're all just different sides of a coin, but they all kind of work together. You know, they're not mm. all exactly quite alike. Thor and Valkyrie are more similar, but then you get to hell and Loki and it's completely different. You know, we have control yeah. mage and we have sort of a glass cannon type warlock character and all these sorts of things. Yeah. And it's so interesting how they make this game. My next endeavor, of course, is the black order. I'm very excited to get them on the table. And I think TTS is going to be the way they've got some imposing models as well. They have I actually played with them a few days ago on TTS. Oh, excellent. How was that experience? Yeah, it was a very last minute kind of that I picked the team. So I didn't really know. I just literally, I was looking, they had the cards and we said, right, let's go. Ebony was amazing. Yes. I had, it happened to have an extra point to spend. So I gave him a gem. Just having the gem gives him an extra power anyway. So, and he, he already generates two additional power. So <laughs> four power each turn. He's doing Hello? something. Yeah. Yeah. So he was amazing. Do you remember the rest of your team? Uh, well, yeah. So I had so I had the the big guy, Black Dwarf. Thank you. Yes, and then the Corvus and Proxima Midnight. Yes. Yeah, I was kind of unlucky with the the crises we had. We had four spaced out kind of control points and four spaced out hammer things, and I didn't quite have the mobility. But you're just talking about something I recently talked about on the show. So you were running the Black Order affiliation list because no Thanos. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think they're the first <laughs> faction in the game to not be crippled by that element because all their characters are such powerful pieces. And on top of that, they arguably have the strongest tactic cards in the game. So even if you don't have the affiliation, I think under the rule or command of Ebony Maw, I think they're a terrifying force. <laughs> what they are. Yeah. And then you can obviously go a different route in the future. You could go with Thanos when after he's out and give him a couple stones and then maybe go with only a few of them. And then you have an yeah. even smaller list, but with the affiliation ability and, of course, Thanos, who is the tankiest character in the game and a threat in all of his own. I just I think they're an interesting enigma. I can't wait for us to get more into them on the show because I just don't think any other faction can necessarily do that. Like I don't think that if you were playing Cabal, you had Red Skull and maybe MODOK and you're saying, ah, I'm, I'm going to skip the third Cabal member you know, and not mm. take the Cabal faction this time. Yeah. You know, I I don't think you make that decision, but with them, you sometimes don't have a choice. Yeah. It's really exciting to hear they perform well for you on the table, especially Ebony Maw. I did lose. I would say I, I lost, <laughs> but Ebony Maw did rock. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think a lot of their deficiencies are made up in 
tactic cards because some of them are things like that mothership card which teleports someone across the board and things like that so yeah and when we started the game I, I didn't really have time to prepare properly so i didn't really go through the tactics decks either so i just had a sort of bunch of generic stuff that i'd used previously so yeah i, I absolutely didn't sort of use them to their full potential i don't think they're pretty complex with their tactic cards i'm still trying to wrap my head around them luckily we have some time preparing for our series because they've got some pretty interesting lore as well so but yeah that's exciting you get to play them i'm 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 living vicariously through you until i get them to the table <laughs> and i'm currently trying to figure out a hobbying project for the maw to maybe create some sort of telekinetic elements on his base you know i think he is such a more of a sith lord type character and i want to represent that oh yeah in some way on his base so i'm trying different things right now and um that's pretty exciting so well that's great awesome so you, you're kind of jumping all around but as guardians are currently current home having played them on tts right that's the faction I'm most keen to finish painting and get to my own table here. I know my daughter's going to love it because she's so into MCU at the moment. Oh, that's perfect. So, yeah, I can't wait to actually get them painted and on the table. And those models, man. I mean, I got to speak, my co-host Chris, like, Hella's his favorite model in the game. And, I mean, they're just, they're absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Through some GW skulls on her base. And, I mean, it just elevates it. They knock this game out of the park. So, that's really exciting. Yeah. That's what you've been enjoying. So, any teasers, if you if you can drop them, any teasers or anything, that, things that you want to work on in the future, maybe for your channel for Marvel Crisis Protocol? Uh, basically, I have, a, I have an ongoing poll on Patreon. Okay. So my patrons actually vote on who they most want to see next. So coming up will be Ultron. Mm, yes. I think even if I just do them as a quick PDF, I really want to finish the core set. So that would mean doing Baron Zemo, who's very useful anyway. Yes. He slots in a lot of places. Yeah, so getting those two done means the core set's finished, which is always a nice feeling. Thanos is <laughs> the most voted for at the moment, which I don't have yet, but I believe he's arriving this month right. very shortly, I think. Hella is up there. Of course. And Rocket. Ooh, yes. Doesn't mean I'm just going to cover those, because with the PDFs, I kind of, I'm quite free in terms of, oh, I'm just going to do this because I want to include it in my next game or what have you. But certainly for videos, that gives you an idea of some of, the, some of what you're likely to see coming up soon. That's fantastic. And Thanos, I'm really excited to see what you do with Thanos because I've seen already some incredible work online, people that got Thanos early, and mm. a lot of people are attempting the multiple OSLs and his gauntlet with the different gems yeah. glowing and things like that. I just, he seems like an interesting challenge for a painter and a, even experienced painters. And, you know, it's helpful too that he comes with terrain. That's pretty neat. That's it. When you see a character like that, right? I like to look for something, something special, something visually sure. interesting and special that I want to, to achieve. I want to pull it off when I paint the miniature. Even if it seems a bit, oh, you don't know how you're going to do it or it might seem a bit daunting. That's what drives you forward. It's like looking at Thor, I'm thinking, okay, I have to do some crazy OSL here. Right. But then you're sort of, your inner demons are going, oh, but then he's got all these different textures. He's got non metallic metal. How are you going to put, you just got to silence that and just go, right, sit down, work it out and do it. So yeah, we can't wait to paint Thanos. Yeah, and I think Thanos might have in my mind, you know, being a, a more beginner intermediate painter, I just feel like he has every element where you can exceed if you want to. Like he has metallics, mm. he has some alien elements going on, he has terrain, he has the OSL, he has vibrant colors, the list goes on. Interesting skin tone as well. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. I think he's going to be a fun challenge. And Definitely. we've been singing his praise on the show just as I think he's going to be a, a piece in the future 
to get more people to this game because not only is he Thanos, not only is the model incredible and iconic with the terrain, but he also has the ultimate encounter included in his box. So that oh, sort great. of, you know, two versus one, you could do a co-op, you could do it, you know, split in multiple teams, however you want to do it. But I mean, what a teaching tool for the game as well. Put the most experienced yeah. player on Thanos and maybe the newer players on some simple crisis teams and just learn the game. Like, as we said earlier, we see that on the table. We see these crisis teams deployed and we see Thanos in the middle of a nice board that speaks for itself. I think before you've even sat down and played, the theme is incredible. So I just can't wait to see him. Yeah. It's it's like that moment I mentioned years ago when I walked past games workshop and just the figures just caught my eye right in the window. It's that moment where the child in you just sort of grins, you know, you get that little, that little (laughs) thrill when you see the, see them and they're just so enticing. And I think you're right. I mean, any Marvel fan who sees a nicely painted Thanos right. on some cool looking terrain, how can it not sort of draw you in? Absolutely. So I'm just looking forward to that, what the community does with that. And of course, what your channel does with that, Sarastro. So all that aside, mm. any other hobbies or nerdy things that you're into besides miniatures and painting? We know you're a musician, which that speaks to me as being a, a musician my whole life as well. And these are elements of personality. But I mean, are there other nerdy things you're currently into or used to be into? You mentioned Star Wars, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, on the nerdy side of things, I guess video gaming probably falls into that category. Being the age I am, I've, I've seen the birth and growth of the entire gaming industry. As a young kid, my next door neighbor had one of the very first consoles. I don't even know what it was called, but it had two little white bars on each side of the telly. <laughs> and each player controls a white bar. All you can do is move it up or down. The Atari with Pong. What is it? Atari, yeah, that's it. And then a little white, it's supposed to be a ball, but it's actually a square, isn't it? Yes. So it yes. goes from side to side and it gets faster and faster. Right. So from that to, you know, the, the Spectrum, ZX Spectrum, uh, my first computer was an Amstrad CPC 464. Then they had the Amiga. And then seeing the first gaming consoles, I had the PlayStation 1 and the Xbox Mega Drive, all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, these days I tend not to play the really time-consuming stuff, Same. like World of Warcraft, for example. <laughs> that That's out. That's out, yeah. Even games like Total War, which I love, I mean, to play through a whole campaign of that, it's, that's quite a big endeavor, you know? Right. But stuff like, I mean, Star Wars Battlefront 2. Oh, man. I just, I still love it. I love it. Me I mean, too. when it first came out, it got a bit of flack. I was playing it last night, so that's true. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the game that I come to time and time again in between playing other games. So I'm currently playing and enjoying The Last of Us Part 2. Oh man, I can't wait to get to it. I'll be straight back to Star Wars as soon as I finished it. Or if I just want to break in the middle of the day, I'll half an hour, boom, a couple of rounds of Battlefront. Or if I've got a bit more time, maybe supremacy mode, because it takes a bit longer yes, sometimes, yes. the back and forth. I love that. So rewarding now. So while we're here, and I, I guess I gotta touch on this because this is where my mind's been lately. So I recently started a new podcast called Project Starhawk, which is about the future Star Wars game coming out in the fall, Star Wars Squadrons. Oh yeah. We're really excited about that. Me and my co-host are seasoned Star Wars gamers. We've played every Star Wars video game and board game that has existed. And then we grew up on the flight sims. Are you interested in that game at all? Are you interested in the flight sim oh, aspect? Absolutely. Especially as it's coming VR ready. Because I have the VR on the PlayStation. I mean, can you imagine that? No. It's wow. still blowing my mind. Blows my mind. I can't wait. And that's why we decided to do the podcast on it. Just because I think it's going to be a game that even changes week to week or, or month to month. My mind is still blown by, of course, the elements we're talking about, a modern day flight sim in Star Wars, which hasn't happened for 20 years with VR support. But that aside, obviously the new story supports the new canon of the New Republic. But all that aside, 
we have a 5v5 squad-based, role-based game built into this, which yeah. is just blowing my mind because that's not even a route they've taken with the flight sim Star Wars games in the past where you know you have a support mm. player, a bomber. You all have this symbiotic relationship to achieve your objective. Oh, yeah. That's what we're looking forward to. So I was just curious if you were playing that. So you have VR. I don't even have VR yet. This might oh, yeah. push me over the edge. I do have a PC that can handle it. I just It is a pricey hardware endeavor. <laughs> yeah. I say I've got VR. I've got the, the PlayStation VR. That's perfect, though. Yeah, it's quite an economical entry into VR. Yep. Just recently, or just yesterday or the day before, we got Iron Man VR. Oh, yes, yes. Wow, so good. Because you, you use the move controllers, okay. which are those stick things. Right. The way you move is, as you would expect, the thrust comes from the palm of your hands. Oh so if you push your palms downwards, you're obviously going to go up kind of thing. That's unbelievable. It's so amazing. <laughs> and of course, you can just reach out and blast your repulsor blasters and all that stuff. It's quite insane. So yeah. you're going to be playing Star Wars Squadrons on the PlayStation? Yes. Yeah, and that's truly one of the things that pushed me over the edge to create content for it. They're making the game 100% cross-platform. In theory, if I'm playing on PC and you're playing on PlayStation, we could play in the future. I just think it's brilliant to do that. So My PC's pretty good. I used to game on the PC, but I generally prefer playing on the PlayStation because it gets me out of my little... time in my little studio yes, where yes. i spend all of my working hours absolutely uh, so it's nice just to kick back on the sofa and boom yeah. yeah that's sofa time you can't neglect that either so that's fantastic and i can't wait to get to the last of us too as well i just currently don't have the time and i, I really want to to enjoy it i've i've had a whirlwind of the last year and I, i'm actually currently playing finally this shows what's been going on my last year but i'm finally playing <laughs> death stranding and boy it's a trip it is a beautiful piece of work I believe so. And I, I didn't play it myself. Right. Not yet, anyway. I'm a little bit into it. I'm loving what I've seen so far. I've heard it's really excellent. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. And just some of the things I've experienced in it that are breaking the video game mold, of course, are just, you're yeah. not ready for them, which is great. But, well, that's awesome. So video games is kind of your way to unwind. And I'm glad you mentioned Battlefront too, because that is my de-stress game or my plug out of work yeah. or plug out of the podcast creation mode. It's just, Definitely. it's a perfect game for that. And I think that's why yeah. I come back to it time and time again. Well, that sure. is wonderful, Sir Astro. So I thank you for all your time. And most importantly, where can people follow you and support your content? So the YouTube channel is just called Sir Astro's Painting. You can find me on all the major social media platforms, so Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and also on the musical platforms as well, if you like the music, so Spotify and so on. I am on Patreon. That's where most of my income comes from. So if you just look up Sarastro's painting on there, you'll be able to find me. Fantastic. Of course, subscribe to Sarastro's channel if you're not already. I'm sure several of you are. And of course, check out his Patreon as well. And this has been a great and exciting episode of just talking about just content creation in this wonderful game, but I'm glad we got to go on a little side tangent about video gaming. You know, <laughs> sure. It's good stuff. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Catch our streams of Marvel Crisis Protocol at twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest. Now, of course, this has been put on hold for some time due to the state of the world, but Chris and I are currently looking at a way to potentially stream some TTS games like Sarastro was talking about earlier, maybe trying out some new characters and stuff on TTS and just streaming that for you guys because why not? This would be a fun time to try that, you know? So, and that'd be a new thing for me to try as well. Well, follow the show on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast, Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest, and you can email us at Fury's Finest at gmail.com with any questions or future ideas. 
Once again, thank you to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music and help spread the word of our show by subscribing, rating, and reviewing. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jesse Aiken and check out that new podcast I was talking about, Project Starhawk, which is about the upcoming Star Wars Squadrons game. And check out my regular show, The Canon Cantina, about Star Wars story and canon. And you also follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Bruffett. But most importantly, you can follow everything Srasher does at Srasher.com, Srasher's painting channel on YouTube, and Patreon.com slash Srastros. Thank you for listening, true believers. Awesome. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. 